Hiya, Rachel. Hiya, Ryan. How ya doing? Good. You? She's back. I'm feeling pretty great. Yum yum. Yum yum is here. Yum yum herself arrived. And my life is fucking great now that she came to stand awkwardly on the bridge for a lot of scenes. In a the very staged way. Even mention her, by the what? Way. You're fucking kidding me. How could it not say that Nan's biggest challenge is coming to fruition? Michael's leadership. <laughs> I will write that description on IMDb. I will write that description on IMDb, and no, I will put it there. Too big of a spoiler. No, it isn't. I will write it, Rachel. We're called Yum Yum Podcast because of Commander, Commander Nandi said the line Yum mm, Yum. Yes. Her and Michael go way back, which was a way hilarious back. statement. Hilarious. I had a good chuckle because there was a moment in this episode that we'll get to. We're talking about Star Trek Discovery. We're rewatching the show, going through the episodes one by one, talking about them from a spoiler perspective. So, people, you've been warned. There was a moment where those two characters were bonding and saying what great friends they are and all these amazing journeys that they've had together and put a put a phaser in my mouth and pull it right now because the only thing I remember of them having together was killing a fellow colleague of theirs. And I wouldn't say that was a happy-go-lucky, fun, warm experience for the both of them. And the other experience that they had was the last time in which she just abruptly left the show. And you could pull the phaser now. Was Michael Burnham on the seed ship during that mission with them? Yes. But honestly, I could not tell you. She was, wasn't she? In the previous season, they had the seed ship mission, that's where Nan left. Burnham was there on that away mission because she decided she was she was the one that was making the decisions, even mm, though yeah. it made sense that you know, Hugh should have had some but but uh mm-hmm. those are the only two warm experiences I can think of. Killing a colleague together and finding the remnants of a dead family and deciding to leave. Warm Friendly, lovely, fond memories that we all have of those two characters. What great, what a great adventures they've gone on. Let's just go. Let's just go, Rachel. What are we talking about? What episode of Star Trek Discovery are we rewatching, revisiting, and reviewing on this episode the of ninth Yum Yum Trek? Episode of season four, Rubicon. IMDb. Attempts to describe this episode. <laughs> Captain Burnham and the USS Discovery race to stop Book and Ruan Taka from launching a rogue plan that could inadvertently endanger the galaxy. And it has, at the time of recording, a whopping... A whopping. A whopping... 
1,447 votes, mm-hmm. which averages out to be a 5.7 out of 10 star rating. That's so high. That's almost a passing grade. It's Almost the highest of the season, probably. Oh, wow. What was the word before Tarka? I didn't understand what you said to me. His first name. He has a first name? Ruan. R-U-O-N or something like that. I I immediately clicked uh, away from uh, the description. I I didn't know that he had a first... I I thought Tarka was his first name. No, Tarka's his last name, honey. Uh, Why do you say it like I should know? Because they've used it before, I'm pretty sure. I don't know fuck about this dude other than he's a scientist, a genius mind, the Admiral vouchers for him, he was a prisoner, and he wants to go to another dimension. Hey, that's a a list. There you go. And he has a first name. Great. Awesome. So this episode, my history and relationship with it is... Well, that was it. Uh, Rachel, you? Wiggy's back, baby. What? Wiggy's back. I feel like we're talking like the criminal from the last episode where he has like all these (laughs) strange abstract things where he understands them but nobody else does. Like, Wiggy's back, baby. Yum, yum. Uh, uh, Wiggy back, baby, is Lieutenant Nielsen is back. Her wig is terrible. It's distracting. They let her be in charge of the ship for a bit, and I scream, don't let Wiggy be in charge, because she has a big wig on her head, and it's very awkward, and every time they cut to her, I'm reminded viscerally that they're actors on a set who had to sit there waiting for the camera to roll and say their lines and or make a face. And they, for some reason, this poor actress must have dyed her hair a different color or something in the seasons, uh, in between the seasons. Mm -hmm. And they decided, uh, instead of going with it, unlike every other character, that we just go with it. uh, How about we just stick a big, awful sweaty wig on your head. Uh, Rachel, history, relationship, anything? Wiggy's back, baby. That's it. You don't even want to play ball. Hey, you didn't. I did. I gave you my history. There it is. This this is a nothing. This is a nothing. nothing. Um, Honestly, uh, we covered the history when we talked about, oh, Commander Nandi's back. And that's weird. Like, that's the main thing that I remember. And them, the stinger at the end of this episode, but also at the ad break points are fucking awful. Mm. Fucking awful. Poorly constructed, definitely. Commander Nandi is the highlight because we have embodied that character so highly (laughs) That any time she appears, <laughs> it feels special. <laughs> so you're right. The only memorable thing of this episode for both of us is a character that we have given more character to, given more time to, than the show, people, than the show itself. 
I honestly do not remember most of this. I I know that at some point they blew up the DMA, and then already like and then you don't remember it, even though we just watched it. No, I'm still in the history phase. Oh, okay. Like like none of this is memorable to me. I, like n- there was no real scenes in this where I was flashing. Oh yeah, this. Uh, it was oh oh this is the one where Nan came back to do nothing, and oh yeah they 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 obviously have to use the weapon and succeed. I remember but that fail because this is well, the yeah. penultimate episode. Yeah yeah they 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 use it and succeed but fail as well, and everything else was new to me. Even though I've seen this, seen this relatively recently, so ugh. and. Yeah, I didn't like it. Obviously, I um when I say obviously, I say that to you because you were sitting next to me getting a little bit annoyed at how many times I kept saying this was awkward or embarrassing because I kept saying that a lot because there was lots of awkward and embarrassing moments uh from this. I I almost was going to say the title but then I realized I forgot what it was. What is this? Rubicon. Oh yes. Like the river. Uh, what did you think? I would rather talk about the idiom than the episode. So, there's that. Today we're taking a look at the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery titled Rubicon, which, fun fact, is a title that refers to Julius Caesar's decision to cross the Rubicon River, thus changing ancient Rome forever. Where are my history nerds at? I love you. Now, this episode was all about tough choices but there's one choice that shouldn't be difficult. Make sure you're all caught up on Disco because we're heading into full spoiler territory. I'm really shocked, Rachel. You didn't like season four, episode 10? No, nine. Sorry, I'm wanting to skip ahead. Uh, What didn't you like? I didn't like the fact that it was boring, that I give no shits about the characters, because this episode heavily, heavily relies on you caring about the characters. Specifically, that, like, you care about Commander Nandi, care about her returning, care about Michael, care about Book, care about their relationship, care about Saru, Oh yeah, that okay, love story, I wanna, man. I'm so invested in I the wanna, romance. I want to get to that. I want to say something. Romance. Mm. Which is something that I thought about a lot in this episode. And I think it was a feeling that I got to in the original watch as well, which is this is all they could think of for Saru. Because they completed his journey oh, with his physicality. They completed his journey to captaincy. They've uh-huh. they completed, evolved him. They physically evolved him. Completed his arc with balancing the two worlds. Like That's an ongoing thing. Oh, I had a good chuckle but- when he mentioned Sukal, but we don't see Sukal. Like he says... Like my this, ward. My ward off screen is having problems with this and how funny. 
Remember Sukal from season three? The reason that season three happened, uh, they they do too, but they're also extremely uh, embarrassed. Again, I'm embarrassed is a thing. Yeah, they have nothing. And Rachel, I'll give you this. This may fill in some stuff for you. One of the things that I know is Doug Jones, the actor, has been pushing for Saru to have a romance story very early into the run of this. So they've given him one because he wants one. And, you know... What else are you going to do? That's that's it, Rachel. What else are you going to do? As a writer, you've narrowed this character into such a corner that where else can you go? Yeah, give him a romance with another alien who's also emotionally odd in comparison to us, the viewer, but they're more emotionally sensible than Saru, even though they're a Vulcan. And because Vulcans still have emotions, but they're very trained and very logical. (sighs) Okay, okay. Before we delve into those story elements, I... I want to say something that I'm and I want to hear from you as well because you and I are watching a lot of television recently on our own and together we mm-hmm. finished a bunch of shows we're going through a bunch of shows for the first time or rewatching shows so we're consuming a lot of media mm-hmm. a lot more than we usually do as well as podcasting about a lot of media and so one of the things that I found very prevailing in this viewing experience is I miss watching something with honesty. See, when we're watching other things, there's a level of honesty to that. Here, though, with Discovery, I just am thirsty for the writers to come across honest. I want to feel like there's a human behind these scripts, not just some faceless, emotionless, devoid tentacle that is smacking at the screen. Because I don't associate discovery with people. Exactly right. I there was a time where for all of its faults, for all of its flaws, even it is as dangerous and immature and childish as Discovery has been, there were moments where I thought, oh, that was a nice little honest thing, or that felt real, or they had something to say that as bad as season one and two is. They were coming from writers who had ideas of things they wanted to say, but they didn't necessarily know how to say them very well. Here, Mm. they just have the same talking points again and again and again. I already went through them, those themes. And I just don't feel any level of uh, someone with something to actually say about these. We're doing Babylon 5 as well. We just watched Cowboy Bebop. We're watching Farscape for the first time. We finished Battlestar Galactica recently. We finished Futurama recently. These are just some of the shows that we've been consuming. All of them, even in their worst episodes, even in their laziest slump times, had something to say, had some passion behind it, had people that were making it it that had 
something they needed to get out into the world. Here, this is just, we are in charge of a Star Trek property and we need to maintain it for brand vitality and uh, <laughs> and so that we can prop up all of these other ones we've got on the go. I I just wish that they... It's not a creative product. Those other things are creative endeavours where it feels like people had an idea and made a thing. Discovery does not feel like that to me anymore. Like, take it, it is, it is, like, it is a creation of people aimed to entertain people, but that is not my experience with it, and that's not the way that I view it. Discovery has always had ideas and they still have ideas it's the lack of a soul behind those ideas because you can come to a piece of media and just want it for the cerebral sci-fi ideas oh the i the concept of aliens from outside the galaxy using a mining device to do this and our heroes must figure out a way to communicate with them peacefully and not those are ideas those are things that are literally happening in the story yeah but you need to have another layer to it for my enjoyment at this point because it is just pulp there is no other perspective coming through here i think back to episodes of TNG, episodes of Voyager, episodes of Deep Space Nine, for instance, that I like a lot, that may not even be the beloved episodes, that may not be the top five, but I think about them a lot because not only were they maybe something that I favor because of a great actor or some cool scenes, but because whoever created it, whoever wrote it, had had something they a goal in mind so i always bring this up because for some reason i guess it's my favorite episode of star trek is half a life with uh luxana troy falling in love with that guy that has to commit ritual suicide that is one of the great tng episodes where they don't give you an answer of how you should feel about this they give you several things and let you decide where you fall on this and it's a very sad episode it's very melancholic and you can tell that the people who wrote it, as well as the people acting in it, had feelings on it. Here, it is just... People are doing a job. People are doing things. The actors are doing things. their jobs. They are here to say things. They are here to do a thing. They are here to propel the plot forward. It is very mechanical. Very corporate. Yes. Yes. Yes, and it's unearned. So we have Saru romance with Vulcan. President Relic? Oh, is she Relic? No, no, no. Relic is the Federation president, yeah. right? This is a game. No, this is a game. She's been a character for two seasons now. What's her name? Could you tell me what's her name? No. I, I I couldn't tell you what I'd her name is. I put the phaser in my mouth. 
and it's been pulled and Rachel died and uh, she will no longer be joining us on Yum Yum Podcast. She is, My soul is free. Her soul is free in Yum Yum Energy. I don't know her name because I do not care about her as a character. Now, this is not to reflect on the actress's portrayal. She's doing a good job with nothing, but it just says everything. I don't know her name. I just know what she is. She is Saru's love interest. She is a Vulcan. She is a leader. She is reasonable. Uh, but I don't know who she is. I know what she serves in the story. I know what function she gives to this series, but I don't know who she is. Why is she in love with Saru? Because they both are people who are devoid of emotional stability in the way that us humans understand it, but they have their own versions of it, and maybe that complements each other, as we see in this episode. But what does she see in Saru? He's sensible. She's, She's also sensible. straddling two worlds. Like, she's very much like Vulcans and Romulans on Navarre. Mm-hmm. Chillin'. Chillin' like villains. Uh, and so Carl is like Saru's anchor at, back at Kamina. And she has presidency? You are just saying words again, aren't you? Wiggy in charge. Fuck! If it was up to me, we wouldn't talk about this episode because it's a, it's nothing. Is it weird? It's a waste of fucking time. It's a waste of fucking energy. Like, is this the the musical intros would be the longest part of this episode of this podcast? Let's get real. Is this thus far? the most non-eventful or unmemorable episode that the season has displayed. But Tucker explains a thing about game theory. Sorry. So is that a yes? Math is really cool. It, yeah, it's it, yes, Brian. It's yes for me. Yeah, I'm struggling to even want to get into the details of it because they are incredibly shallow. Saru and Vulcan lady share a, 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 a moment Vulcan? of yes. She and him meditate in Try a hologram. Yes, in a hologram-like setting, and every fourteen seconds, her hologram glitches to remind us that she is in fact not there because the visual te- the visual effects team are forced to do that for some reason. We know we're four seasons in. We know by the fact that the voice modulation is slightly different too, but they've got to make them glitch because maybe the audience is too stupid to understand. Uh, uh, I understand. I mean, fair, fair. I feel stupid watching it, so you got yeah, me. Part, like when that scene started, you remembered that the first time we kept on counting mm-hmm. because the glitch gets further apart 
each time it happens. It doubles. So first it was like you're four seconds in and then it was like eight and then 12 and then, you know, no, no, it's like eight and then 16 and then you went on and on and on. Yeah, we counted it when we first watched it because the scene was so uninteresting. It was noticeable. It was noticeable (laughs) that they were making this decision with the visual there and we wonder why they do that. Why do they feel the need to do that? And many times when I listen to podcasts where they discuss Star Trek, say, and there's episodes that are bad, they, including us, get caught up on talking about these little details that, in the end, don't actually matter all that much. And why they are talked about is because the other content that is making up the 45 to 50 minutes are so lifeless that your eye can't help and your mouth can't help but want to go towards these little oddities such as something in the hologram blinking because the scene is them trying to meditate but he's too flustered and then she asks him out on a date and then that's it and it isn't very <sighs> interesting <laughs> they just don't have chemistry together they no. they have chemistry in the terms of they both obviously are horny and mm-hmm. like each other. And you but... can have chemistry with Vulcans. You can. Yeah, and I think these actors... You can. And I think these actors have had chemistry in the past. We saw that in Unification Part 3 when she was first introduced, where those two actors were... They, them and their characters were physically together talking and they had a plot to maintain... And they were on opposite sides, but they also understood each other. There was something to propel it. Here it is just a little scene, a little story in an episode where this doesn't really matter. It is just something that is to be maintained for the series going forward. Because Doug Jones wants a romance in the Saru story, because why not? And he as an actor, I imagine, doesn't get to have romantic plots for characters he yeah, plays not often not often and so we get later on they touch upon the scene with Hugh and I'm sure we'll talk about that in the Huda but it is to just say oh I can't go on the date right now because we've got to go on the series season long mission but I would sure like to go on the date but also I don't want to no Ooh, aren't I an idiot no it's I uh, like, I can't right now, but I wouldn't want to because... because I don't want to complicate the we're things. We're too different. You can't. But Aquaman, you can't marry a woman without gills. You're from two different worlds. That's what it is. But see, you know what it is, though, deep down, is he's saying all that as excuses because he actually does have feelings for her, but he's trying to find ways to allow himself not to be committed to those feelings because that is a strange new final frontier for that character. And that's it. That's a romance plot. It it was a thing that took up five minutes. Remember when Adira and Grey were in this show? Where were they? I know Grey's gone, but where is Adira? Adira is still on Trill with Grey. Oh, did they, they go took, there too? Yeah, they took leave oh. to go help Grey settle in. Okay. And 
I think it was in the next episode or the one after they come back. Oh, I miss them. I miss that art genius. And you're an art genius. No. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> okay, I'm an art genius. A lot of people were absent from this one. A lot of people were not around, and if they were, they were shot in a certain way because of, you would imagine, COVID uh, requirements such as even Book and Taka are rarely next to each other, even though they're supposed to be driving the ship together. You mm-hmm. know why, because of the real-life production reasons, but it is good to note it down because... You can see the real-life production reasons on the screen happening. Yeah. And it's not the show's fault. It's not its fault. What can it do? But it does add a level of, ironically, disconnect. This show's all about connection, and yet I feel so disconnected because everyone's so far apart from one another, or so isolated, or so... (sighs) There's also... Like, disjointedness between lines as well because of that physical distance. Like, there's just weird sort of, not even proper pauses, just beats between dialogue that don't feel like they would be there in a traditional show. Like, oh, God, no. and definitely not in the way that people actually talk. That is extremely highlighted by every time Reese talks in this episode. The guy whose family survived a flood or he lost his hometown in a flood. Remember that great storyline? Well, it's coming back again because he thinks that book should. Uh, he thinks Book's right. Yeah, he thinks Book should do this and he's totally in the right and what a good boy Book is and we should all root for him because, hey man, pain. And Bryce says very on the nose about pain, uh, about how, oh, you shouldn't equate your pain with his pain. Uh, Very cute on your part, writers. Very cute of you, but it was eye-rolling. But... That disjointedness, that awkward pacing, and that unnatural feeling is really shown to us when the bridge crew are talking in this episode, specifically them. And I have been very understanding and forgiving of those actors, because a lot of times it's not the actors or performers' fault, it's the direction and writing. And I know that a good portion of the ensemble of Discovery are good actors. I have seen them in other things, or they have shown it within this series. Now, the bridge crew, on the other hand, I don't know these actors from anything else, honestly. And I'm just coming in. I'm four seasons in. I think I'm good to go with this. Unless it's just constant shit direction, they're terrible. (laughs) they are bad (sighs) they do not give good performances Detmer, Owo, Reese, Bryce, Nielsen they're all bad they are not very good uh, at delivering lines 
coming across good on the screen. I find them distracting, honestly. We've circled around and around and around and around about bringing the cast and crew to life within this series and how they want to give their little spotlight moments to the bridge characters, say, or to people like Nan, or to people like the president or the admiral to give us this feeling like there's more than just Michael Burnham and Saru and Paul. Or, yeah, Dr. Pollard. But why we keep circling around it is why it doesn't work. We keep looking at it from a writing end, but I'm just going to say it now. A large factor to why this just always is a failure to me is I think these actors are just very piss poor at what they're doing. I, I've i been giving them leeway for a very long time because the direction and the writing, but uh, we're four years in, people. And Reese, that guy, always, always feels fake to me. So does Bryce. He, so does Nielsen. He is waiting to say his lines. And he's happy to say them. Mm-hmm. He's too happy to say them. Uh, how do you feel about that? Because we haven't really engaged with that side of that conversation. We always look at it from the, why are the writers trying to shove this in the way they are and why is it failing from that end? How do you feel? I agree. Like, it's just... Like... I I don't like going after actors. Nebulous companies and writer rooms. Mm-hmm. Much more comfortable with having go at them. But it's just, like, these people are getting to do something that they're passionate about but they're not doing it particularly well they're not giving you a reason to see more of them no 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 um, no 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 i would be like happy in some ways if they just wiped the board clean of the bridge crew Mm-hmm. Well, they're four years in, they can't. I mean, they are, though. Bryce leaves because that actor got work elsewhere. So that's why they're replacing him throughout this season with that other guy whose name I cannot tell you. Uh, I just... Because the conflict that's happening in the episode is there's disagreements between the bridge crew when it comes to the crisis at hand. And that isn't a, a bad idea. And the writing for it isn't even that terrible. It is just performed and shot in a way that is very, 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 very false. Disingenuous is the word I would use to describe Rubicon as an episode. And you were noticing this. We walk into the bridge and it's Nielsen and Reese arguing with each other about this book thing. And... You were looking at me thrown off by it. And it's not even the fact that these two are having an opinion uh, or disagreeing opinions about the crisis at hand. It's just that we are walking and talking from something else and now we're just seeing these actors at a different register than the other ones. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And it's just like, and we start the scene 
and they're in the middle and action. Like it just feels so contrived in the way that they set up and deliver it. There is nothing natural about that conversation to me, especially when you get to whatever the fuck he was doing in the background. <laughs> when they're on the show. Or shuttle. in the foreground. Like, whatever the fuck that shit is, we'll dive deeper in the Hugh section. Oh, yeah. But, like. Wilson was having a field day today. I wonder this. He's like, I'm getting paid to do what I love. Maybe we've Good been. for you, buddy. And he's not the only one that's like that. Like, mm-hmm. it really does, the more I think about it, have that vibe of, like, they had fun making it. Oh, they have fun making this show. Yeah. Yeah, they have fun making it. I just wish that it was more fun to watch. Is there the thing where maybe we've been lucky in previous Star Treks where you have a bunch of people in the background, these actors in the background, and more often than not, that when they when they give them more time, they were lucky to have actually very good actors. because. That's what Miles O'Brien was. Miles O'Brien was just a guy. He was just a returning glorified extra. But they were lucky that the guy is actually a really good actor. And that if they could give him more lines of dialogue and give him more opportunities to be noticeable. He would rise to the occasion. And he always did. Hence, he became a series regular in Deep Space Nine. Because the guy's a really good actor. He's always been a really good actor. But they were lucky. And they've been lucky pretty routinely with that, with a lot of Star Trek, where they have these background actors and they just give them a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and then, hey, here's some more opportunities for you to shine. And I think that when they first started Discovery, they had no intention of making these bridge crew people characters. They just hired people. They just hired whatever local Canadian talent, I imagine. Good-looking people. Hey, that guy's a good-looking guy. We'll cast this woman over here. Hey, are you okay to have uh, a prosthetics on? Hey, are you okay to be shoved into a wig? And so on and so forth. But then us, the audience, and then, then the writers wanted the bridge crew to be characters for some reason. And they were stuck with these actors who they hired. And you start to slowly learn that maybe they're just good as background actors. It's a theory. I like I don't even know where to start with the speculation on that, but yeah, that could well well and I mean, you've watched the show, do you, what do you think? Oh, like I think they're shit, but I think the show is shit, so it doesn't surprise me that I also think that the casting director did a shit job. I think they did a good job for extras. I, It's unfortunate because they didn't pl- – it's clearly – I mean, we've had 15 showrunners – they didn't plan on these people being people. They didn't plan on them being bigger characters, and they didn't have the luck of the draw, like, say, TNG did. 
So now we just have these people who take up time and we're talking about them more than the main plot of the episode because, again, they're an oddity that stands out to us. I would rather talk about them than the story, which is boiler plates. You don't know what it's like to lose everything. What do you want us to do? Launch an attack? I'm not saying we should attack. But Stop I mean, comparing pain, man. You have no gentlemen. idea. You are here to execute your orders however you may feel about them or one another in this moment. Listen, this is tough for everyone. We have an amazing moment, though. There was this spectacular scene in which Commander Nandi demands that she can speak to Saru and Michael privately. This is so then she can reveal that they actually have an ability to destroy the uh, book ship. And... It was very funny to me that she wanted to have a private moment. And guess where they went? For the private chat, Rachel. Where did they go? Do you remember? No. No, 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 no. Think about it. Think about it. Where were they and where did they walk to? They were on the bridge and they walked to her writing room. Oh, my God. A private channel conversation in the ready room. It's not like they put the bubble around him, which they could have. Oh, I was anticipating I fucking cheered that they did something normal. Normal. (laughs) Which is, we need to have a private conversation. We need to have a private conversation. Here we go into the ready room. Here we go into the ready room and have a meeting about what we need to do now and the complex situation that we're in, how we can counteract it and... It was it was nice. That was my favorite moment of the episode because it was not complicated in a way that was silly. The bubble, the silence bubble, and the flamethrowers on the bridge are weird complications that are silly and makes me want to talk about them. Here, I want to talk about this little thing because it's just normal. Thank you, Star Trek Discovery. And the conversation they had was sensible. <laughs> Nandi is right throughout the whole episode uh, and, I, yeah. and I wanted her to actually take over the bridge that's the thing that frustrated oh. me now now I know that we've watching that we're watching this for a second time but since this is so nothing event to us were you expecting either viewing that Nan would actually no. relieve Michael Burnham and no. take over because and... Michael is a god is that your reasoning basically She's not going to fuck up. Yeah, I disagree she, with that, actually. Like, I, I think don't they think would, she's going to make. I think they would let her fuck up because that's her character. She's a fuck up, but she learns, according to the show. She learns but the same. I do not she believe... the same lesson every fucking time. But I do no. not believe the writers would actually have the balls to have her be relieved of duty by Nan in this moment, have Nan take over and the slate be wiped clean with Nan being in charge, or you have complications with Nan being in charge because of the character of Michael at this point is so central to the show that to the writers, I don't think it's even possible for them to imagine uh, this moment being solved by anyone other than no, Michael. No. It's got to be Michael. It's got to be Michael. She's the chosen one. She's the lead character. Uh, and again, bring it back to all of these other shows we've been watching, including previous Star Treks. 
They would allow other people to be the person who solves it. And not just in the way that, okay, Star Trek Discovery, you could argue, well, no, Ryan, you see, uh, don't you remember Tilly used to solve things because of this. In this mold, Michael is always the one that is given the writer's leeway. Uh, she won't be wrong. Uh, she won't be relieved of duty. She won't have to step aside for Nan. She won't actually have to destroy Book's ship because the writers are too afraid to actually do that. They're willing to acknowledge those things could be possibilities, but like back in season one with the Mirror Universe version of Discovery flipping over into ours, uh, they're not actually willing to follow through. Because no! what happened with that Mirror Universe well. version of Discovery, it got destroyed instantly because the writers didn't want to deal with that. And here they don't actually want to deal with that. I would have really liked to have seen an episode where Nandi, a former friend, uh, a friend and a former colleague, actually did take over Discovery. What would that be? Let me see that. Yeah. Let me see how Michael would react the- to that. Would she actually react <sighs> maturely to that? Or would she go back to her old mutineer no, no. days okay. and she would do something on the side There's that would undermine it? A small thing that I want to pick up with that, right? Um, One, to highlight, we've switched from talking to the minor things to talking about the, hi- about the hypotheticals instead of what actually happens. Mm-hmm. Uh Two is a specific line that Michael has. Mm-hmm. And just the connotation of it makes me feel a bit weird. And hopefully my leap from what you said to this makes sense. She says to Commander Nandi, you always have a home on Discovery. Like it's her decision where Commander Nandi is assigned. That has been proven that she doesn't have that ability all the time. She has to argue for it. Like, it's like, well, if you wanted to come back, I would make it happen. It's up to me. I'm the president's number one, babe. Like, the Admiral I'm me. the captain of the ship, so I get to mm-hmm. pick my people out of the entire... Not just Starfleet, but Federation? Because she's Federation security now. Yeah. I, 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 I was just oddly thrown off by it because it's just an offhand comment that's meant to be nice, but when you think about it within the context... Which is for kings. It, ha- it has these other implications. Uh, now, I'm willing to fess up and own up to this being unfair criticism on my part, what I'm going to say next. But Michael talks to, uh, uh, Michael talks to Book, sorry, a lot throughout this. She, she communicates with him a lot. And each time she does, and I'm willing to admit that this is just something on my end, but I really think that she talks to him like a child a lot. 
the way that the actress delivers oh, the lines not, of dialogue not equal, no. feels it's like, very much like she's a mother talking I to a little need boy. To make him understand if he learns. Oh yes, yes. When she's talking about him, but when she's actually directly talking to him, she's leaning forward, whisper talking as this character and this actress often does. But there's just something about it, the way that she talks, the way that the lines are construed where it really comes across as a parentalist relationship rather than that one of a, a romantic partnership. It was just, it's just something that, again, puts me at a distance. It disconnects me, discombobulates me from what is going on because I am constantly having to remind myself that they are a couple that are breaking apart because of this. But there's just something about how Michael is, and... There's another way you could play it too, where Michael has to put on her Starfleet captain persona against Book, and he sees through that and doesn't like that. Or maybe he sees it as the act it is, and he has to bring out that old courier side of her, yeah. which we see in the episode. But again, they or are playing it what... like that. They are just playing it yeah. like she is his mother, and she really wants her little boy to come back home, and so he doesn't get in any more trouble. Is, is that something that just I am getting because I'm not attached to the show as much, or is that just I something get, there? I, I get what you mean. Like... It's a byproduct of the actress's innate yeah. need to... Say her lines in a whispering, polite manner. Oh, when she's in the fucking shuttle in front of his view screen. Uh-huh. Oh, oh brother. I, I do like to note down, mm. I rewatched a clip a little while ago from season one because I was curious of how much the performances have changed in the series because that happens. Actors naturally evolve mm-hmm. over time their characters. And... In season one, she had to play the I'm a human raised on Vulcan. But it is amusing to note down how over the course of the show, the actress is just using her real voice. (laughs) Her real accent, her real way of speaking, her real rhythms. Mm. And you could say that is a way of showing that the Michael character has become more human now Mm -hmm. because she no longer speaks in that stiff clipped manner that the Vulcans slash Starfleet people would. I get that. I just am curious to get your feelings on that. Have you felt that? Have you ever really noted that down? Or is that just something that washes to the side? No, I have noticed that. I thought it was the actress giving less of a fuck rather than a deliberate choice. I will say Sinequa Martin-Green is somebody who is very invested. So I do not say it's not her giving a fuck. I think it is always, with her in particular, it is the production and the direction do not have a handle on her. Weirdly, she reminds me of Shatner in a lot of ways, where she has a very specific way of performing, a very specific vocal cadence and energy and delivery that in the right hands can be used to great effect or in the right hands can be used to underscore something. But when you let that actor like Shatner or that actor like Sinequa Mountain Green 
just rip into the things that they think is best, you can often get a very uneven, unnatural, and very showboaty performance. And one that just shows us more what the actor is like rather than the character. She, as an actor, she as a Mm. person comes across as somebody who will cry like that and they yeah. just let her do that in the show mm-hmm. and now she just sounds like Sonequa Martin-Green not just accent wise and voice wise but she just sounds like Sonequa Martin-Green every time I see her in interviews and every time I hear her in this show it's almost indistinguishable at this point and this I mean it's a it's a tight it's a tightrope walk there because sometimes we like that about actors where they yeah. are their character, like their characters and them are so joined at the hip. Yeah. I mean, I like Shatner as an actor, yes, not as a person. You have proclaimed. And I like that him and that. Kirk are so joined at the hip that, yeah. in a way, every time they do recast Kirk, it's an impossible feat because Kirk is Shatner and Shatner is Kirk. Uh, it's, 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 it's just something that was very noticeable to me on this watch was Sonequa Martin-Green is just herself in this series, but she's obviously in a sci-fi setting. I was just having a good giggle at that because mm. I know she's a mother in real life. She's very proud of that. She's like a proud Christian woman. And that's how I feel about Ma- uh, Michael. I feel like Michael should just be a <laughs> mum character who's yeah. religious at this point. <laughs> If they shifted to that at some point, I would buy it, honestly, because she plays it like that. You haven't been answering our hails. Been a little busy. Impressive maneuvering, by the way. You too. Look, we can't go on like this. If we keep digging in on our own sides, we'll keep battling each other. And not the real threat. What's it called? They got a whole episode of that to go get the the stuff. I remember. The yum yum weapon. Where they get a big yum wave. Isolinium. Was that it? Mm-hmm. An isolytic weapon? Mm-hmm. They fire that off and wouldn't you know it, uh, they just, the aliens just put a new one there. Yep. I like that. That's kind of funny. It's not a great All cold this fucking effort. Yeah, it's kind of funny that the big aliens just look at it like, oh, my mining thing broke. Oh, I just put another one there. There you go. That'll fix the problem. Uh, while all of our characters are pulling their hair out, thinking, oh no, they're going to retaliate. Oh no, they're going to notice that their thing got destroyed by something and now they're going to come and look. No. Yeah, because it means so little to them and it's just so little consequence that's my favorite thing of season four is mm. how how we are ants yeah. to these aliens oh. and that these aliens are so beyond our but comprehension thoughts are fun well we'll get to when they get into the show but we're so beyond their comprehension that they wouldn't even notice that we destroyed yeah, their things they would just replace the- it because it's not exactly that we're beyond their comprehension. No, no, they're beyond our comprehension. Yes. 
They're beyond our comprehension. We're just ants to them. We're insignificant. But also, we do find out in the series later that in a way we are beyond their comprehension because they didn't really think that life like us would even be knowledgeable or even be something alive. To get to, and that is a cool idea. Yet again, executed poorly means fucking nothing, really. But. It's an idea and a cool idea and it's in discovery. So that mm-hmm. makes it redeemable, right? If there's any season that should have been condensed into movie length, it's this one. Yes. It's this one. No. There's not a big enough hook. Like, the war in season one was a good enough hook where you could make a whole fucking show out of that knock-knock space above and beyond at the door sci-fi war show. You had season two where they had to go from place to place trekking through the stars to find these different signals that will eventually lead to some big revelation. That's a good idea for a season, like that could propel a season along. Season three, rebuilding the Federation and taking down the current bad guys whilst finding out some spooky galactic mystery. That's a season of television. Here, this is a movie. This You could just make this a good two-hour thing. And you could wrap it up real nice. We don't need this to be 14 hours long. I think it would have made a good graphic novel. There you go. You could have it paired with how Grudge got their name or whatever it is, that Grudge comic book. Uh, That I read. Hugh Dar time. Hugh Colbert was in the episode. I review of the Grudge comic book. You've mentioned it on the pod. Uh, you give it a five star. I give it a two star. Uh, I do not like grudge. I don't need to read it. Uh, I give it a yum. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Colbert is a character in this series that I, we like to. Boy, does he smile and nod. Wait, wait, boys. Ra- wait, Rachel, Rachel. Boy, does he smile and nod. He's a character that for this segment we like to look at intensely because why not? Just why not? Why not? Why not? He's so, he's one of the main cast members. He's one of the main cast members. This character will play by Wilson Cruz. And Rachel, walk me through. What is Hugh Colbert up to in this episode? What do we learn about him? What does he contribute? He's counseling it up. That's his main role in this episode. Um. He tries to dissolve conflict that's happening in different places. Saru goes to him for advice. Mm. So at the beginning, he is there to remind us that he is aware of why Book is acting out the way he is. Because he was his counsellor. So he has a mental profile on book. He, Which is why he's going along. He's going to go on an away he, mission. He is the one that's going to talk book down. Yeah. But he also reminds us that Tarka is the real, real wild card here. That's when Owo should have chirped in and said, Hey, he actually talked to me last episode and gave me a deep understanding of his mental state that could be handy in, oh! this, in this mission. But guess what? 
Owo wasn't supposed to talk that much this episode, so no, you can't have that. See, that would have actually made that moment from last episode matter. Yeah! Instead of just it being a thing to tell us, the audience. It would have made it matter that Owo did that. But hey, they forgot. So I remembered it. Uh, He is there to tell us that. And then he goes on this little away mission to get on board book ship and bring him in. But of course, they fail and they almost die. But there was the funniest thing. Mm. I, I, I pointed it out when we watched it. But did you notice it before I pointed at it? Which is Hugh Colbert says a line of dialogue. He's on the shuttle. We get a cut to another shot where it's a, a typical shot of all of them. But he's in the background slightly blurred and Wilson Cruz is background acting everyone else is in the scene but Wilson Cruz is sitting back rigid straight his hands are clasped together he's just mildly smiling and looking off into the distance and tilting his head and moving it the other way in a very performative manner very noticeable but also not because he's in the distance it's one of those this is somebody who is oh i've got to do background acting off i go look at me but you're not supposed to but look at me Uh, i was looking wilson and i noticed it and i noticed it and i noticed it i i always notice him doing a bit of like head flopping Mm. that was what i was noticing and then i truly appreciated the background acting that was mm. happening after you pointed it out. You pointed out something about Wilson Cruz's uh, delivery of a very important, serious lines. He delivered them with a certain expression. A massive grin. He keeps doing that. <laughs> he's like, he's you gotta stop him doing that, guys. Smiling through, being like. We don't have to agree on whether Book's done the right thing at committing these various crimes. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, not the right tone. Not, he, he is a very... Not the right tone. I've seen him act in other things. I've seen him in interviews. He's a very smiley guy. Directors, you need to do a take again and say, Wilson, you were smiling while saying these lines. Don't do that. It doesn't line up. It it gives a different flavor to what we're needing here. Such dissonance between like I'm thinking about those things on the page and mm. what they're meant to sound like and look like, and they just don't because he's too busy smiling. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, at least you're happy, Cruz. At least you're happy. When I've acted... Mr. Cruz. Mr. Cruz. When I've acted in certain projects, there have been times where I've worked with improvisers and we're doing a play. So improvisers... No, no, no. Yes, they do, but move away from that. Sometimes an improviser, say, is in a play, a real play with written lines, and they deliver their lines with that little bit of that... uh, showiness that an improviser has to have to earn that laugh or to mm, keep f- the energy up. Pizzazz. The pizzazz. The pizzazz. The flair that they, they have give to, at the end. They have to readjust their uh, acting abilities 
from that to what is yes. needed for the different style. Yes. And same with musical theatre kids. I've worked with a oh. lot of musical theatre kids and they are way mm. too physical in their performances and they have to adjust themselves. And as somebody who's, uh, I would imagine if I do improvising or if I had to do musical theatre, I would have to adjust my way of doing things to accommodate that. Wilson yeah. Cruz is a musical theatre guy. He mm. was in Rent. And he's too physical. Here, it's being big and expressive because on the stage, you need to show that to the back of the audience. Yeah, he plays to the back a lot. And he just seems like a nice guy. So he just is smiling and saying, hey, this is a really fucked up... He's delivering bad news with a big smile on his face. And there's something you can say there. There's There's a way to play that for a character, but... Here, it is not appropriate for the moment. And you noticed it. And I noticed it too. And I didn't want to say anything because I've been making a lot of fun about how he's always smiling and nodding. But now he's smiling while saying the lines where he shouldn't be smiling. Uh, He gets a big moment though, Hugh. He actually gets two big moments. One of them where he's not there. And one of them where there, there's a big argument between Nan and, and, and Michael and they're, they're catfighting each other. And then Saru interrupts it and reminds them about what what you said earlier and that there's a, a middle ground here. And everybody took a moment to pause and you could almost tell that Michael wanted to look into the camera and say, thank you, Dr. Hugh Culper. But she didn't. She held it in. and uh, the scene was actually one of the better scenes in the episode because that is how you make a character thing work. Hugh Colbert offhandedly said something earlier. I didn't even really remember that statement that he made, but when they brought it back around, it tied in in a way that was far more cohesive to the other examples that we've gone through in the episode of it being disingenuous. That was one of those moments that worked. That was one of those moments that landed better for me because, yeah, he did say that, but it wasn't showy off in it. It wasn't so obvious that this was going to be called back to or called forward to. Mm, No. It was good. That was good. Hugh Colbert contributed to the scene without actually having to be in the scene. And oftentimes we look at Hugh Culp and talk about how he's barely in episodes, but it's not just because the active barely physically shows up, but the character's existence barely shows up. Here it did without him having to physically be in that scene to push it along. Then we had the final Hugh, I think it's the final Hugh scene, where he gives Saru some advice. Yeah. Of... You're being an idiot. It was very reminiscent to me of when Jet Rena, who's also a character in the show, by the way, uh, and I'm sure she's having a great I think time. They, they mentioned Jet. She'll come back. Uh, but Jet's having a great time. Uh, when Jet went to Hugh Colbert and talked about their tragic love story and to convince Hugh to go back to Paul, and uh, she went there because she had a hangnail. Or something rather silly like that. And it reminded me of that sequence a bit. Where you have a character who's being a little bit too up their own bum bum when it comes to romance. And you have another character there giving sage wise wisdom. Wise wisdom. uh, 
in a very offhanded, candid, flippant way by calling them an idiot or saying something rather uh, brash, but they do it in a way where, oh, how lovable. How lovable of them. And uh, I like that scene too, actually. What did you think of that? Yeah, it was one of the better ones. But it's still just so bland. Oh, you have to care about the romance. That's but, that's that's yeah. a hinge. Like it's just so bland. And it's just like okay, I I don't care. And you really think that I do. And that makes me care less in this instance. I care even less. Because you think I care at all, <laughs> and I'm wow. like, I'm not, I'm not at the point of absolute zero care. I'm like, I want, I still want Saru to be happy. I find it amusing that um, Colber is so upfront, and that Saru is surprised by it, and it's just like you went for advice. This is how he gives advice. Why are you surprised by this? Why are you surprised by this? And that's Hugh Colbert. He's out. Thank you, Hugh. You smiled. You nodded. You got into a little bit of action. You got to jump onto the bridge while being transported. That was fun. It's a yum for me. Yum. Look, we've been very harsh this season and this episode. We've not been very delighted by it. And yet it's so bizarre to me that both of us, when we first watched it, thought, ah, this is better than season three. Boring, but better. And now we're having to revisit it. And I'm really, really coming to terms with the fact that not only this season, but Discovery, and and, uh, why I'm coming to terms with this is because it's a serialized show Mm. with details, and you've got to watch it over and over again, kind of details, and, oh, look at us, aren't we so clever? That this is a series, especially this season, that's made to never be watched again. Mm. You can't rewatch these. <laughs> You're just realizing that now? Season four is especially hammering that in because, at least with season one, two, there was such fucking major hurdles that they had to get over when it came to creating the show. They had. Also, the new car smell to it, where, oh, they're figuring it out, and, oh, look at this, and, oh, remember when Brian Mm. Fuller was involved, and Jason Isaacs is here, and you had those kind of things. And then season three was a reset, so there was a little bit of an interest Mm. there of, well, 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 maybe this is the new star, and it'll be kind of funny to revisit it, because let's see how the new version of Discovery goes. Now we're season four, four years in, and... I look at this episode and I go, why did we wait to talk about it now? Why didn't we just talk about it when it first aired? Because it does nothing on a rewatch. This season has done nothing, and it's really making me think back about how this is a serialized show. The reason it's not like your daddy's old Star Trek is because it's a serialized, golden age, prestige television show. And yet, unlike a lot of the contemporaries, this really isn't made to rewatch. No. And so it suffers greatly mm-hmm. from being talked about. So I give it a yum. Yeah. I 
don't know what we're going to be talking about next time on Star Trek Discovery. I I I honestly couldn't tell you what the next episode is. They they I guess technically do a title drop for the next episode in this episode. The Galactic Barrier. Okay. Is this the one where they have to break through it, I imagine? Yeah. Captain Burnham and her crew must go where few have gone before, beyond the Galactic Barrier. Meanwhile, Book learns the truth of what drives Ruan Taka. Stop putting his first name there. (laughs) Stop putting his first fucking name there. I don't give a fuck about his first name. Ruan Taka? (laughs) That's the real problem. Wait, how's it spelled? How's it spelled? R-U-O-N. R-U-O-N. Okay, guys, guys, I'll spell it for you correctly. R-Y-A-N. Taka. Just call him Ryan Taka. You fucking ruin Taka. Ruan. Just call him R-U-I-N. Ruin Taka because he ruins everything for everyone. Even though the actor's doing a fantastic job again. He was great. He was great in this episode. Positive. He was great. We can be found on your social media platforms under Yum Yum, yum, yum Pod, Pod or Yum Yum, yum, yum Podcast, Podcast, which can be found where? In the description below. Yes. Rachel, I thought you were going to finish that. You were so no. on top of my words. I thought you were going to go to the, the email, email address, first which is yumyumpod at gmail.com. You can rate and review us on whatever podcast hosting site allows you to do so. And if you aren't listening to every single episode of this podcast, including our coverage of Babylon 5, which we're doing as well. Shame on you. You can start it now and... Oh, yeah. No, they should just listen to every episode that we do. If not, just download every single episode and rate and review us and say yum yum to us all the time. And make sure you support us on our Patreon where we do bonus content. We talk about the best and worst rated episodes of Star Trek. We've talked about the Star Trek movies as well as the X-Men movies. And we are doing an episode by episode watch like we do here of the TV series Space Above and Beyond. But not quite because I haven't seen it before. So it is great for you to come join us if you're There's a no first time. There's no spoilers for Space Above and Beyond. A one season wonder show. So if you're wanting to hear people talk about Space Above and Beyond or if you've been interested to give it a watch yourself and you want a companion for that mm-hmm. journey, come on over to the Patreon Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. All of this is in the description. As stated, Rachel, what was a yum yum moment? The moment that was bizarre, the moment that stood out, the moment that was odd, the yum yum moment. Oh, like the smiling is oh. a contender. The we go way back, hmm. also a contender. And there was a third one where I was just like, oof. It's not a yum-yum moment, but it's a yum-yum decision. Uh, I... Okay, so so while you, while you contemplate, it's yum-yum moment to me in terms of decision-making on the production. Command and R&D is supposed to be all militant. 
She's got a new uniform. Mm-hmm. Her hair is much darker, even though she's got some light strands that are dyed or whatever. But she's all business. She's all military lady. Like, I'm security lady. Yet, glittery, glittery, glittery eyeshadow. I'm like, it's so obtuse. And I'm like, but that's, I mean, is it's this Star meant Trek. to be her species eyelids? No. no, 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 no. She just did some eyeshadow. And you know what? That's fine. Remember in the old series of Star Trek, all the men wore eyeshadow. Yeah, yeah, they went for it. Um, <laughs> Do you remember what your other yum yum moment was? You're laughing. Is it about the makeup or is it about the yum yum moment that you have? Yum yum. Moment. What is it, Rachel? Was it was it the wig? <laughs> was it the wig? Just what? So the wig is really bad. This is not my moment. But this the wig is really bad. Like, it's very bad. But what makes it extra bad for me is the crunchy, stiff-looking mm-hmm. curled parts oh, that oh, hang the curl. down. Oh, as like, a guy, as a so, guy. Oh, let me tell you. So stiff. Let, let me tell you. So let me tell you. As a fucking guy with blonde, curly hair, let me tell you. I know when it's fake and I know when it's real and that there is some horse it's hair a, bullshit. It's, it's perfectly barrel curled. And like And the only... but here's the problem. The light shines on it and it shows you how fake it is. Like only synthetic hair can hold a curl like that. Like natural hair doesn't stay shit, like yeah. that. So like it just it just fucking doesn't work that way. See, see, again, the oddities like the wig. You just want to ramble about because you know, who cares about the forty five minutes we watch? Let's just talk about these random little weird production things that they make because they are just weird. Uh do you remember the final yum yum moment to wrap this out? I need a breath. Just that fucking wig. That fucking wig. That fucking wig is my nemesis. No, nemesis was uh, the final TNG movie where. Get uh, fucked. I don't care now. Bye.